Optimal health for high performers. This is the Health Upgrade Podcast with Dr. Nawaz Habib. Hi everyone, it's Dr. Habib. Today's interview is going to be really interesting. It's a conversation between myself and Dr. Shyamla Kiru. Dr. Kiru is a clinically trained leadership and relationship coach who has spent the last two decades helping women improve their mental health by transforming their relationships. Her mission is to help every woman show up as their best self in every arena of their life. She is the founder of the EQ Code, a high-touch coaching program designed to help high-performing women build lasting relationships. Shyamla is also the founder of Kiro Psychotherapy Clinic, a mental health practice dedicated to the, to the entire family system. She spent several years on the board of directors at the Ontario Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. I'm really excited about our conversation. I met Dr. Kiru on uh, an online conference during all of this fun pandemic stuff that's been going on and heard her speak and was just immediately engaged with her content. It was so practical. It was so relevant to the current time that we're living in, in the situation that we're currently in. I honestly think you're going to love today's interview, and I'm really excited to share it all with you. Join me in welcoming Dr. Shyamla Kiru. Thank you so much for joining me today. Dr. Navaz, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm so glad to be here. I'm really excited about our conversation because it's so relevant to today. It's really relevant to what we're going through with the pandemic, with COVID, with the lockdowns that have been imposed upon us. And there's a lot of emotional challenges, a lot of mental health challenges that seem to be coming up at this time. I I want to learn a little bit more about you. I want to share with our audience exactly what it is that you do and why today's conversation will be so relevant according to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm always, you know, I often say this when I get interviewed, you know, part of what I've become really fascinated about in my work with people is their backstories. I think that um, the context in which we show up to any conversation is super important and and a really um, important piece to understand. So I'm always happy to share a little bit uh, in terms of my own backstory. Uh, So in terms of professional training, I'll start there. Um, I've spent close to about two decades in the mental health field, specifically as a psychotherapist. And my niche within psychotherapy or my my sort of specialized training in that area is in couple and family therapy. So I did my doctorate in couple and family therapy. So uh, from a very early stage in my career, I became really interested, um, Dr. Navaz, in understanding how our relationships impact our mental health and vice versa, how our mental health impacts our relationships. And so, you know, in my close to, you know, 20 years or so of working with people, what I've come to see, what I've come to understand, and what I've come to really deeply believe is that one of the primary causes of mental health distress is actually relationship distress. So, uh, you know, if your audience is familiar at all with attachment theory, what we know is that when people are safely and securely attached to the most important people in their lives, so that could be your partner, that could be your parents, your family of origin, it could be your children, whoever those sort of primary connections are in your life, When we're feeling safely and securely attached to those people, something really amazing happens. We we are able to better manage anxiety. We are able to better manage symptoms of depression. We're able to better manage stress. And even more powerful is that we're able to execute in a really full capacity on our mission. And so, I still get excited, you know, I I get goosebumps just just thinking about that concept to this day, because for me, you know, it, it sort of felt like I unlocked this really cool secret in terms of mental health and, and not just you know, creating a space where we are maintaining mental health, but we're really thriving and, and flourishing and executing at our fullest and greatest potential and capacity. And we can do that when we pay really close attention to how we're navigating our relationships. 
Now I know that's a mouthful, so I'm going to pause there. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of how I got to where I am today. I became really super interested in that. And, and part of that journey, of course, is personal. I'm, I'm married. I'm a mom. I have an almost 11 year old daughter at the time of recording this. Uh, And those connections and those relationships have been transformative to me on such a personal level. And I know Dr. Navaz, you're a parent as well. And, you know, for me, there's something about the importance of how we show up for our families. And and for me, how I show up for my daughter um, that really made this particular topic around navigating relationships with confidence and with ease and with authenticity and in a way where we're truly building intimacy those pieces became really, really important to me. And I became super passionate about them. And so when you asked me to join you today, you know, there was almost no way I could say no, um, because I'm, I'm quite happy to talk about this topic. Uh, I could talk about it for hours. I love it. And it's, it's obviously so relevant to the current situation that we're in. We're under a, a whole new type of stress. It's something that's been now going on I, like you said, at the time of recording for, for many months now that we've been unable to really connect as much with the outside world. And we are very much kind of stuck within our, our internal environment, within our homes, within our uh, smaller family units. And we're not physically able to connect with people, right? And what that does do is it creates new situations and new challenges for relationships, whether it be with parents, whether it be with our spouse, um, whether it be with a significant other or with our kids as well. And it's so relevant to today that, that we're having this conversation. Um, you, you mentioned the different roles that we show up in. And I think that's really important in, in kind of just creating context within this conversation that there are different situations, there are different roles that each of us plays, whether it's parent, whether it's child, whether it's spouse or significant other. Tell me a little bit about some of the challenges that you seem to be noticing, whether in practice or with, uh, with a lot of your patients that are currently coming up and, and what we're able to do to, to start navigating those challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. So I always like to provide a little bit of background and context before I answer these really important questions. So here's the thing is that the way we show up in our lives, the way we show up in our relationships, the way we sort of move through the day to day and the moment to moment is determined by the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about our relationships, and the way that we think about the world around us. So what I'm essentially talking about is our perspective, our cognitive structure, our thinking patterns, our core beliefs. These are all the elements, essentially, that determine how you show up. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is that we try to implement behavioral strategies to improve our relationships without spending enough time identifying and executing some cognitive strategies. Does that make sense so far, Dr. Navaz? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's an important place to go. So let's let's dig into that. Let's, let's go there. So so I think the place where I would encourage every single person listening today to start, the place where you want to start. I know it's it's so tempting to say I need to change this in my relationship with my partner. I need to change this in terms of how I'm leading my team. I need to change this aspect of my parenting. And that is all valid, but where I, I want to encourage you to start is this. I want you to ask yourself you know, how do I see myself within these roles, right? And when I ask you that question about how do you see yourself, what I'm getting at is, you know, where is your self-worth at? Where is your self-esteem at? What's your level of confidence and competence do you bring to these relationships? That's really critical because how you see yourself 
in the context of your relationships will ultimately determine how you navigate those relationships. So let me use a really practical example. If you move through your day and if you move through your interactions with the most important people in your life, telling yourself that, you know, you know I'm a terrible mom or I'm, I can't get it right as a partner. Or I have no idea how to lead this team. If that's the internal dialogue or the internal narrative that you bring to those relationships, I want you to know and understand that the people around you will pick up on that, especially those people that you're in really close relationship with. They are going to pick up on your, your internal dialogue more than they will pick up on the words that you are saying or using. So in my opinion, we can have the best behavior, behavioral strategies in our toolkit, but if we haven't done the deeper work of really shifting how we are showing up on an internal level for ourselves, it's almost impossible to show up for the people that matter most with our best selves, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. It, it sounds to me very much like like the identity, the, the way you're willing to show up, the way you're able to show up, you're essentially setting a ceiling for what you're able to accomplish based on the identity, based on that cognitive ability. What is that self-talk saying about what you are capable of? And if you don't allow yourself to be capable of things based on self-talk, that's a little more negative. I'm not gonna be able to lead this team or I'm not showing up at the highest capacity in my health or with my family, then we're not allowing ourselves the ability to break through that ceiling regardless of whatever behavioral change strategies we're bringing into it. Correct, correct. And what happens is when we start from that place, we end up then focusing on external stressors and we end up focusing on other people's behaviors, you know, mm-hmm. and you might see this as well in your own practice, Dr. Navaz, you know, it's, it's amazing how many people I will meet with and they will say, you know, if only my partner would change, if only my teenager would listen to what I'm saying, if only my team, you know, could accomplish, like it could actually do the tasks that are assigned to them. If only others in my life would change. And that's, that's the biggest problem that I see in my practice in terms of what gets people stuck. So the the other question I would invite your audience to ask themselves is, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on other people's choices, other people's feelings, other people's thoughts? And are you obsessing in that area, like so many of my own clients do? And if you are, what's likely happening is you are increasing your levels of of anger, of frustration, of resentment, anxiety, stress. You're increasing all of these negative psychological and emotional uh, experiences for yourself. And what happens when we increase those negative emotional experiences is that we decrease our own level of Mm self-confidence this is this for me is like the the crux of helping a person really optimize their emotional intelligence you know and dr navaz i think you've sort of gotten to know my my work a little bit you know i'm i'm really interested in the area of emotional intelligence Absolutely. Right. And how emotional intelligence impacts like every area of our life. Right. And so this correlation between, let's say, confidence and anxiety ultimately is the crux of the issue for many, most people. Right. Is that if we if we allow ourselves to focus on the things that increase our anxiety, the only thing that's going to happen is that we will decrease our confidence. I feel like a really important piece of that is control, right? And mm-hmm. what we can control what versus what we cannot control. Let's focus on, on the, the idea of control a little bit here. The idea that, that when you focus on external things, on your partner, on your kid, on your team, if, that, if you focus on what they are doing, then you're, you're essentially creating this anxiety or this negative emotional attachment to things that you don't have direct control over. 
whereas you actually have direct control over your own reaction and that's the emotional intelligence idea how can we shift that perspective to focus on the things that we can control about ourselves the things that we are responsible for uh, in our own reactions and our own challenges and thus be able to control the emotions that we bring to each situation correct correct exactly and this is exactly what i'm getting at so so those things that cause us anxiety. So next time you're feeling anxious, here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify what you're focusing on. I want you to identify what you're thinking about. And I would wager that nine times out of 10, that thing that you're thinking about or that thing that you're focusing on is probably somebody else's thoughts, feelings, or actions. It's something that you can't control. So if you're feeling anxious, it's a really good indication that you're probably focusing on thinking about ruminating on something you can't control right yes. so what dr Navas is saying is is bang on right so it's the difference between in our mindset when we think about people that are executing at their fullest capacity what the research tells us again and again and again is that the only difference between people that have uh, that are experiencing life fully and they're experiencing success and they're experiencing satisfaction. The only difference is their mindset. It's, it's what they choose to focus on, how they choose to sort of navigate their mindset. And so people that have learned and trained their brain to focus on the things that they can control, on the things that they can change, those are the people that we will see sort of at the top 10% of every single industry. Those are the people um, that will report like really high satisfaction in life, really high satisfaction in their relationships. Um, they will report, you know, feelings of, of joy and, and contentment and gratitude and all of those sorts of things, right? And so when we look at what we can control. There's, there's really only two things. Dr. Navaz, I'm putting you on the spot. Do you know what those <laughs> two are? Yeah, go for it. You're gonna. Uh, do you know what they are? Uh, the two things that we can control. You already named one of them. Off the top of my head, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So the two things that we can control, and actually, Dr. Navaz did already mention one of them, is, uh, you know, our our thoughts, right? What we're mm -hmm. thinking right? What we're saying to ourselves in our heads, our self-talk, our self-dialogue is within our control. Now, I know what you're, you're probably thinking as you're listening to this. It doesn't feel like it's within my control. It, my thoughts feel very overwhelming. I feel flooded by them. I can't seem to get a handle on them. And that's simply how you have trained your brain to operate. You can rewire your brain. You can retrain your brain so that you, you teach it to focus on the things that you can control, right? So we can control our thoughts. So that's number one. Number two is our actions, mm -hmm. right? Number two is our, our choices, our behaviors. We can control what we do. We can control the choices that we make in life. So these are the two sort of gold mines for us if we really want to optimize uh, our functioning in every area. We want to be able to focus on what we can control, which is our thoughts and our actions. So that's kind of step number one. And then if we were to take this one step further, we then want to identify those things in our life that we can't control. And we all have things in our life that we can't control. And, you know, right now, as we sit in, and I'm not sure when this is going to be uh, released, we're recording in about in December. But as we sit at the end of 2020, uh, a year that has been filled with uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Right. It's been right. It's been filled with unknown. It's been filled with like, I don't know what the next month holds. There's been so much of that all around us that there has never been, in my opinion, a more important time, a more critical time for us to learn how to accept those things that we can't control and action the things that we can control. Yeah, that it makes so much sense. It's, this is the year of, of the unknowns, 100%. And all of the challenges, all of the things that we're experiencing 
are happening externally from us, right? A lot of those challenges, a lot of the, the government regulations, the challenges that we have in, in something as simple as going to get groceries or uh, picking up our kid from school, that there are challenges, there are new uh, situations that are going on and, and understanding that a lot of those things we can't control, if, if we act as though we can control those, then we are creating a level of anxiety because there really truly isn't a level of control from us that we're not able to actually impose that, that, that need or that control over external situations. That's exactly it. And, and the anxiety, our brains are fascinating, right? Like they're, 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 our brains are so powerful. The anxiety is created because your brain knows what you can't control. Your brain is very, very well informed about what you can't control, right? So think about this. In the in the in the background, your brain is like, "All right, Doctor Navaz, like these are the things you can't control." But if you've trained your brain to keep focusing on all those things you can't control, all you're doing is creating a stressful environment inside of your mind. Yeah. 100%. And it's like you're, you're, you keep looking at this thing that you can't change your control. And your brain is like, Dr. Navaz, what are you doing? Like, we can't, can't do anything about that. Let's, let's, let's focus on something that we can, we can change or we can action or we can control. Let's go do that. But if, if every time, you know, you, you kind of, you're saying to yourself, but no, I'm just going to keep worrying about all these things I can't control. Cause I'm, 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 really worried about them. I'm really nervous about them. I'm super anxious about them. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep turning these things over in my head. Yeah. And, and I think in a very practical way, a very practical application of this is people that, and, and it's something that I've personally stopped doing a long time ago now, and, and probably the best thing I ever did was to stop watching the news mm. and realizing that, yeah, understanding that certain news topics are important for us to understand that we need to be in the know with regards to what we're able to do what's what's safe for us to do from that perspective but not allowing the news to determine exactly what we're feeling and to encroach upon our thoughts because the vast majority of what we're watching on there doesn't uh, isn't something that we can control it's not something that we have any control over and if we're focusing on that it, it takes that control away and it, it 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 creates that level of anxiety that oh my goodness the world is falling apart the numbers continue to rise the challenges like people are dying and all of these challenges but really what we have control over is how we show up on a daily basis that's it that's that's exactly it and i i do really like that as a practical application right is you know what you're exposing your mind to ultimately is going to either feed your anxious thoughts or it's going to feed those thoughts that leave you feeling more calm and confident right yeah, and yeah you know practically speaking yes we need to, to understand kind of what changes are happening and and you know the impact on us but I agree with you Dr. Navaz I mean like 90% of what's on the news it, it's just it's information that continues to be recycled over and over and over again and we're hearing the same thing and we're being bombarded with it and it's really not necessary right for us to you know, stay current and stay, you know, on top of what's what's actually relevant. So the amount of news that many people are consuming right now, it's probably just overkill. And that is a really practical way to, to begin to manage some of that stress that you might be carrying from a mindset perspective. I love that. It's really important there. So let's say, for example, somebody's in a situation where they've watched the news or they've, they've gotten into a situation where they start to experience this anxiety. They start to experience this physical challenge, this, this 90 seconds of, of emotional lack of control. And this is something that Dr. Joan Rosenberg talks a lot about, that 90 seconds of that physical reaction, the sweating, the eyes dilating, getting into that anxiety state. What are some strategies that people can use in that moment when when they start to notice that there's a little bit of overwhelm, they're not really in control of that situation. What are the practical things that people can do in a situation like that? 
Yeah, it's, it's such a good, good question. I'm going to give you the quick behavioral strategies. And then um, if we've got time, I'd love to share with your audience kind of like the ultimate mindset hack that I use with my clients. I love that. Okay. So the quick behavioral strategies, what we know is that when we are in that stressful state that Dr. Navaz just described, um, we need to begin to slow down our physiology, right? And we can, we can do that by physically changing our environment, right? So if we find ourselves in that sort of panicked kind of state, our, our heart rate starts to elevate, our, you know, your face might become flushed, might start to sweat, you might start to shake, whatever it is, we all have sort of different physiological symptoms of stress. What we can do is change our physical environment. And one of my favorite things to do is actually going outside and getting some fresh air. Right. And so just the, the simple act of being in a new environment and being outside will can begin to help us to snap out of some of that immediate response or that reactiveness that's happening physiologically for us. That's so strongly linked to the the idea of activating the vagus nerve. So very similar to what I talk about in my book, where we get into this negative fight flight uh, sympathetic response that we tend to physiologically show up in during that time of overwhelm or anxiety, we need to have some practical strategies to be able to pull back into that parasympathetic rest digest area where we can actually start to think clearly. And I, I'm very big proponent of that same idea of being able to get out and, and go outdoors and get out of the, the physical environment that you're in and, and just get some fresh air. That's it. That's it. Right. And because when you go outside, either, you know, the sun's going to shine down on you or the wind's going to blow on you something, it's going to feel different mm -hmm. than probably the current environment you were in. And that sometimes is enough to get this process started. The next thing is to begin to take control of your mind quickly. And, and the quickest and easiest and simplest way to do that um, is to combine two things. One is really deep breathing. So beginning to focus on your breath, noticing your breath and deepening and lengthening the breaths that you're taking. So that can almost immediately begin to reduce your heart rate and begin to slow down your physiology, right? And in conjunction with that, you want to begin to count backwards from 20. And the reason I say backwards is because it takes just a teeny tiny, a little bit more of an effort mentally to count backwards versus counting forwards. We need to slow down that much more uh, to actually be able to count backwards. And all of this is going to serve as a positive and healthy distraction from the physical symptoms of stress and anxiety. Because if we focus on those symptoms, if we say, oh my God, like my, my heart's racing and now my palms are sweating and, and now I'm shaking and we keep our focus and attention on that, it, we're only going to increase those symptoms. Yeah. What you focus on grows. It makes so much sense. That's it. Especially with anxiety, Dr. Navas, like anxiety is one of these fascinating things. The more we focus on it, actually, the more it grows. So the treatment and, and the, the strategies and the interventions for anxiety in terms of anyway, how we work with them in our clinic, they're quite different from how we might work with other sorts of emotions like grief, for example, we might invite people to go deeper with their grief and really explore the grief, because mm -hmm. that can be a helpful way to process through feelings of loss and, and, and grief. But for anxiety, it's, it's almost the opposite, right? We need to, to sort of physically and behaviorally find ways to self-soothe and self-regulate mm -hmm. so that we can actually use the cognitive strategies to create that long-term, more sustainable change in our mindset. I especially like this counting down from 20 because I love the idea of taking a little bit more attention, a little bit more focus to go down or to count backwards specifically, but also the idea that you're actually bringing yourself back down to zero. You're actually bringing that emotion back down to a minimum rather than ramping upwards if we're counting upwards at the same time. It sounds really interesting to me. Yeah, and it's really simple, right? But yeah. the, the, the thing I notice with a lot of my clients is that they've got these tools in their toolkit, and, you know, and then I'll have a session with them and I'll say, okay, well, did, did you use those strategies? They're like, well, no, I didn't do it. It just seems too simple. 
And that's the thing is I would really encourage you as simple as it sounds, please try it. It truly does work. It's something I continue to use in my own life. Anytime I'm feeling now it's more like, you know, I might, I might get nerves before I do a speaking event or something like that. I actually use these strategies, right? So I won't just sit down, you know, um, in front of my notes and pour over all my anxiety and nerves, right? What I'll do is, is physically move into a new environment. I'll do my deep breathing. I'll count backwards. I will repeat to myself the thoughts that I really want to hold and capture, you know, while I'm about to execute on that event, for example. So those are the behavioral strategies. Yeah. Now what I'd like to do is just share with your audience, you know, a really powerful cognitive strategy that, that we use in our, I've got a psychotherapy clinic and I've got a coaching clinic. And we use this strategy really in, in both areas. And what we call it is thought triaging. So it's the idea of triaging your thoughts, just like think about sort of a, a hospital environment, right? Where the, the nurse that greets you will triage the needs. She will triage the presenting issues that come into the hospital. So what, what I want to invite all of you to do is learn how to triage your thoughts rather than just reacting to every thought you have as a crisis or as an emergency or as the truth. We have to learn how to triage our thoughts. So thought triaging, essentially the very first step of this strategy is, so let's say you've done this thing, right? You've gone outside, you've taken your deep breath, you've counted backwards from 20. You're going to come back inside. You're going to grab a, I still do this with a pen and paper. I still do it in the old school way. And you're going to write down uh, what I call my thought triage formula, which is I feel because I think. I feel because I think. And you're going to complete that thought triage formula. So you're going to write down, I feel anxious because I think I'm not going to get this right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I feel anxious because I think I'm not going to get this right, whatever that the, 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 this is. So that's the thought that's creating the anxiety. That's the thought that's creating the anxiety for you. So you've got to get super clear on what the actual thought is. Then once you've done that, you're going to triage that thought. You're going to now separate that thought into two categories, right? So yeah. on the left-hand side of your page, you're going to write down all the things that you can change and all the things you can control with regards to this particular thought. And then on the right-hand side of that same page, you're going to write down all of the things that you cannot change and that you cannot control with regards to this thought. I really like that because it's, it's allowing you to become mindful of the feeling, the emotion itself, which mm -hmm. obviously is going to drive the idea of emotional intelligence, but it's also very practically going to teach you what you can and cannot control and realizing that like we talked about earlier, the things that you can control are your own thoughts and your own actions, where the external stuff are the, the tools or the challenges that you cannot control. I really love that. Exactly. And once you've done that, then the key, and I want you to remember these two words I'm about to share with you guys. The key, once you've triaged the thought, is you are going to action the things on the left-hand side of your page, because those are the things you can change and control. You're going to take action on those things and then all the items on the right hand side of your page you are going to accept you have to move towards acceptance of the things that you cannot change or control does that make sense absolutely and it's so clear and and so simple and yet like you said when people don't do it they don't get ahead but it when it's something so simple the best strategies are always the most simple. We don't need complexity to handle challenges that are already complex. Creating a simple strategy, that's something that we can use both in a reactive state, but also very proactively. I really like uh, the idea that you had spoken about earlier uh, in, in the event that I had heard about with thought triaging done in a proactive basis at the end of your day. Yes, exactly. Because it's like the way I often think about it and the way I coach my clients, it's like, you know, if you were an elite athlete, you would never execute on your, the skills required to play your sport 
just at the big game. Like you would never wait until like the championship game to execute on the skills required to excel at your sport. Mm-hmm. What you would do is practice those drills, practice those skills day in and day out so that when you are called to use those skills at the big game, they're like automatic to you. You're just able to execute on them without even thinking. Your body is just going to move in that way. It's the same thing with our minds, same thing with our brains, right? We want to practice a skill like thought triaging Mm -hmm. on a regular basis so that when crisis hits, it's not if crisis hits, right? We know that, that life crisis hits, it happens. When crisis hits, you're able to move into that way of thinking. I love that. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And, and the idea of doing it proactively and training that skill and, and becoming the master of your emotions, becoming a master of being able to shift your physiology, to be able to shift your thought process and focus on actioning what you can and accepting what you cannot is, is a very simple but practical tool in building that emotional intelligence. It is. And it's a tool, I'll tell you, that transcends age and stage of life. Like I use this, I use it with my daughter. I use it with myself. I use it with my you know clients that are in their 60s. It truly is a skill that we can use at every stage of our lives of course when you you know if there's parents listening to this this podcast you know if you're using it with your children obviously you've got to sort of help them generate the ideas around what can they change and what can they control you've got to help kind of coach them to understand the things in life that we can't change and that we can't control but you know let me tell you it's such a it's one of the most powerful parenting strategies and skills we can use as we're as we're raising children is to help them get crystal clear that life is full of things that that we can't control and life also has opportunities for things that we can change and control and the trick or the key to life is really identifying and focusing on those pieces that we can change and control yeah that's that's just wonderful i know that's something that I try to implement with my daughter as well. And um, will be with the second one when she does show up as well. And, and this is really important to the idea of learning the skill right from early on so that when you do get to, when, when our kids become parents or when they become business owners or when they become entrepreneurs and, and are out doing their own things, that they have this skill built up already because we've trained it into them. And it's also really good for us as parents to be able to teach them. But as we're teaching them, we're learning it for ourselves as well. There's no really better way to learn something than to teach it. It's something that I've learned myself. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, you've heard, you know, bits of my personal story, Navaz, at different events and and interviews Mm -hmm. and things like that. You know, for me, that sort of game changing moment was when I became a parent and I realized, wait a minute, like my, my work, my mission is, is not just about what I'm doing professionally, but it's also what I'm doing personally in my own home. And, and how am I, how am I leading by example? What example am I setting? How am I showing up? Am I actually practicing what I preach? Because in my opinion, the greatest reflection of my success truly will be, you know, it's not to say that I parent perfectly, I don't, um, but it truly will be, you know, how I was able to show up for my own daughter. Exactly. I love that. And it, it very much reflects this idea that I was actually coached on by David Nagel on understanding that you're really, you're, you're only really responsible for yourself. You're responsible to others, but it's your thoughts, your actions your things that you can control, the, the actions that you have and the energy that you give off to your kids that you are responsible for, but you are responsible to them. And they absolutely are that truest reflection of our abilities as parents, as people and, and how we show up. Yeah, I love that distinction. It's such a critical distinction that we are responsible to others, not for others. And that could be a whole other podcast (laughs) episode on on boundaries and sort of understanding the difference between those two concepts. But yeah, it is a very, very powerful concept. Absolutely. I'd like to shift gears a little bit now and talk a little bit more about practical strategies for while we're in lockdown, while we're in 
these physical uh, distancing measures and, and not able to really connect with people or be able to be outside of the home as much as we want. The dynamic in the home has not changed, but the time that we're spending in our homes with our significant others, with our kids, with our parents has significantly increased. I want to talk a little bit about the idea of how we navigate that time together and how we make sure that it doesn't create uh, negative emotions, how it doesn't create uh, negative challenges that go on for, for many, many years. We know that the divorce rates are going up significantly right now. We know that mental health challenges are just blasting off right now into ridiculous numbers that we have a whole nother pandemic coming after this. Uh, what are some practical strategies? What are some tools we can use from a lockdown perspective to be able to navigate this more effectively? Yeah, fantastic question. So, so two concepts come to mind immediately as I was listening to your question, intentionality and honesty. So I think, and let me tell you what I mean by that. I think what has really shifted inside our homes is, you know, when we used to I'm currently working full-time from home. I used to, you know, go, go to my clinic for part of the week. And, and, you know, I did do part of the week from home. And, you know, when we had that physical separation, we were better able to balance togetherness and separateness. And what we know about fulfilling, thriving, healthy, optimized relationships is that the most uh, successful and the most fulfilling relationships are predicated on a balance between togetherness and separateness. So time together versus time separate. Interdependence versus independence. You know, shared values versus, you know, things that are that are my own. It's really important in any couple system to be able to have both of those elements and be able to navigate both of those elements. I talk about that quite a bit on my social, social platforms because it's something I was never taught growing up and I've, I've really come to learn the importance of it and I, I, I really love the concept. So in order for us to now be able to continue to balance togetherness and separateness because it is still very critical for us to have those two elements in our relationships, we have to do two things. We have to be intentional and we have to be really honest. So what I mean by these two things is, let me start with the honesty piece, is we have to have honest conversations with our, our partners, our children, our family of origin, whoever we're sharing a space with. We gotta have be honest about how we're doing. Are we struggling? Do we need more time to ourselves? you know, how that is actually affecting us. It is, it is no secret and it should be, you know, no, there should be no shame in the idea that, you know, as human beings, we were not meant to be with any one person 24 seven, right? Except for when you're a newborn. Um, but, but this idea of needing space and needing separateness, we need to be honest about that. And we need to be honest about what our needs are. And from that place of honesty, we can then be intentional about how we carve out togetherness and separateness. And I know that sounds funny if you're locked down and you're, you know, in the house with the same three, four, five people, whatever it is, constantly this idea of togetherness and separateness, but I'll give you an example from my own life, like one of my separateness activities that I absolutely need and has become so critical for me is my morning routine. So I get up early, I get up at 5am and I do about an hour and a half of, of work. I, I open up my laptop and I do work. And that is a time where I need to be separate. Like I, my, my daughter knows, my partner knows, even my dog knows, right? I, I need to be separate. I need to be alone and I need to, to be focused. And then I follow that up with movement or exercise. And that is, that continues. So I get a good two hours and I wake up early so I can do that. I wake up before my family. So I can have that two hours of separateness because I know for me, when I have given myself that time, that I'm a better person during those times of togetherness. Does that make sense, Dr. Navaz? 100%. It's, it's actually something I do myself and something I talk about with my patients. Absolutely. The idea of bookending the day and or bookending different times and, and making sure that there are times for yourself and very much that morning routine or that morning specific pattern that we have 
where we can focus on ourselves on on creating that intentionality with ourselves first creating that positive relationship with ourselves with our bodies uh moving getting exercise in making sure to to focus on the things that we want to accomplish during that day and setting goals for that that period so i i'm a big proponent of this and and using it to show up then in our relationships in our different roles as parent as spouse etc that's it. That's it. And I think that when we have enough separateness and we're using that separateness well and with intentionality and with some structure, whatever it is that you need, then we're able to show up in those family times or their, those relationship times as a better version of ourselves. And so when we have those times of togetherness, like for example, I do try to shut down my laptop by 5 p.m. every day so that I can have the evening with my family, we need to be intentional about that. So it's, it's become very easy during this time to just the TV's on or whatever, and, I, and whatever it is, right, to sort of just fall into routines, but to be a little more intentional about, okay, so this is time together. How do we want to spend this time? And maybe that is, you know, my family, we, we got into watching a series together and we would watch that. We could put on an episode every evening. And that was a way that we connected and, and to make sure that, the, you know, the phones are away, the devices are, are gone and that we're actually sitting and we're enjoying that time together, right? So it's carving out the intentionality around the separateness and the togetherness. And in order to do that, we got to get super honest with one another about what our needs are. That really outlines the importance of essentially time blocking, blocking out time for specific roles, for specific interactions, and really creating the idea of quality time rather than just simply time together. Correct. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. And it's the, the intentionality, I think, is the piece that is missing the most right now while we're in lockdown or while we're, you know, we're sort of moving through this, this pandemic is that we're forgetting. And I say this a lot to my coaching clients. I say this, you know, I do do interviews as well for, for different news stations and things like that. And the question that I get asked over and over and over again is, you know, you know, what do we do in this next leg of the pandemic? What do we, how do we how do we manage? And the biggest problem that we're having is we're not being intentional and we're not planning our time the way that we used to. And, and my feeling is that we need to do that now more than ever. Yeah, there's no question about it. Absolutely. It, we are in a time where the challenges are so different normalcy has changed completely and what we're used to what we're able to show up as is is really determined by how we challenge ourselves how we create structure within our our own lives with our own time and with our families and and that intentionality really plays such a huge role in determining exactly what what you want and what needs you have to be able to show up as the best version of yourself in different situations. For myself, it's a very similar idea that I block off my morning time for myself. I make sure that I have time spent with my daughter in the morning, getting ready, getting breakfast done. And then it's me showing up as the best clinician as I possibly can, or the best business owner and, and team member that I can. And then showing up again as the best parent as I can. And, and the different versions of myself that need to be optimized, that I need to show up at the, at the top of my game only can happen if I set aside time for myself to be able to reflect, to plan, to, to set goals, and to just focus on what I need. That's it. And it really does, we're, we're sort of circling back to right where we started is, is the behavioral strategies are amazing. Keep using them. Like I, I still use them, but please start with, with yourself, start with the mindset, start with those cognitive structures and strategies so that you're setting yourself up for success. What a wonderful conversation this has been. This has been something that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. And I'm really excited that we were able to get so deep, get some really awesome practical strategies for people to be able to learn from. And I imagine there's going to be quite a few people that want to continue this conversation, that want to learn more about you, uh, their emotional intelligence, the EQ lab. And where can people uh, find you and where can people learn more about your work? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I would, I would love to remain connected with your audience. Uh, the EQ Lab is a private Facebook group that I manage. 
And the cool thing I have to say, I've really enjoyed doing this inside the EQ lab is, is once per week inside the EQ lab, I show up live. A lot of people catch the recording if they can't make it live. And I run something called the EQ skills clinic. And you got to check it out at least once the EQ skills clinic is an opportunity for my community, my audience to ask me anything. And I get all kinds of questions, you know, how do I set up, set boundaries with my mother-in-law? How do I, you know, I'm feeling jealous of my relationship. What do I do? So you can, you can truly ask me any question. We, my team will make note of it. And I show up live once per week and I answer those questions. If you show up live, we can kind of have a dialogue around it. If you watch the replay, uh, you know, I, I make sure to answer those questions as thoroughly as possible, but it's a really great way to stay connected and to continue this conversation around how to use our emotional intelligence to build lasting relationships. Um, and the second place I tend to hang out is on Instagram. Uh, I know Dr. Navaz is going to include all the handles and, and all the links and all of that. Um, but that's another great place that we can stay connected and we can keep this conversation going. And finally, I have a free 10 page uh, download that is available for this audience. It is called the four brain traps that will ruin your relationships. So if anything I said today resonated for you, and if you want to learn a little bit more about how your mindset is impacting your relationships, I want you to grab that free download as well. I absolutely love this conversation. I will make sure to put all of those links in the show notes, but definitely check out the four brain traps that ruin your relationships. That download was probably one of the best that I've ever read and uh, highly, highly recommend joining the Facebook group to uh, be able to continue that conversation with Dr. Shyamla Kiru. Thank you so much again for joining us, for sharing your knowledge and your, your absolute magic. And this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Navas.